<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What say you, Richard Ellick Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them, okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. Did you touch Maggie at all? I did. I touched them both. Okay. I tried to take, uh, I mean, I tried to do it as limited as possible, mm -hmm. but I, I tried to take their pulse on both of them. What you just heard was the first statement that Alec Murdoch has given to police about what happened. It was on the night, June 7th, 2021, after they came to the crime scene of the double murders of Paul and Maggie Murdoch. We're here for Friday recap of uh, the Alec Murdoch's uh, double murder trial. I'm here with our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon, and our executive producer, Drew Tripp. And uh, thank you for joining us. That My was, pleasure. That was, that was quite, a, quite an interesting um, uh, video that we listened to, and now we actually have access to, we're not being given access to everything because it is so grisly. However, this one was particularly, this one actually was released. What was your impression of what Murdoch had to say? Well, for, for me personally, it was a surreal moment because I actually looked at the video. I was sitting behind the defendant's sister, and I could see past her. And on the left was defense attorney Hartputley, and on the right, was the defendant himself, and I could see the video playing as it went on. And just, I thought about that moment because, again, I knew his his father and grandfather well. So here we're having him, in effect, give the first, as far as we know, recorded statement or statement relative to these killings to law enforcement. And he he was emotional. It seemed like appropriate uh, emotion relative to being innocent. But at the same time, he did make some statements that I think will come back to haunt him because the state made a real effort to show that the ticking of any sort of pulse should have resulted in some sort of blood or blood on his shoes and his clothing was completely clean. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that for sure as far as because both the prosecution and the defense uh, talked about how clean he, mm -hmm. he seemed to be. Drew, when we were listening to that video, uh, 
you know, the the emotion from Alec Murdoch that night, he, he got into the car, just to set the scene for you, he got into the front passenger seat of a Suburban. Um, it was the sled agent, Owen, um, got into his car. That This is who was um, coming in to sort of take over from the local law enforcement, the sled agents. And then there was another uh, detective in the back seat from Carlton County. Yes. Um, she was in the back seat, and so was Alec Murdoch's lawyer. Yes. And boy, uh, that was um, three hours after all this went down, mm-hmm. um, according to, uh, since the 911 call. Who can talk to me about why there was a lawyer in the back seat? I'm assuming they're really good friends, and he's close by. My understanding, he's practiced in the same firm as, uh, as the defendant, and he must have felt comfortable calling him. We may hear from all of them in this trial. I've got to think that the states interviewed all these folks that he may have contacted or did contact that night. But that was another interesting, odd moment in in this trial in that, yes, he's an attorney, and then in the back seat is another attorney. who And they were, at times, comforting him. Did you notice that the hands went and they touched him and comforted him as he apparently got so upset he opened the door to... I don't know. Was he nauseous? I was actually wondering about that, too. Mm. Back at the station, they said, did you see that moment? I I think he was actually just spitting outside the car, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was actually getting sick or Mm -hmm. what was happening, but he had Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. What did you think, Drew? I'm in agreement with Charlie here. It's, It's very telling, I guess you could say, is the word for him to have an attorney there already on the scene not just his brother. His brother's an attorney. He's an attorney. It's one thing to have his brother there. It's one thing to have someone from his law firm there waiting as soon as they're ready to give a statement uh, that night. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wildly wrong there. It just seems the timing and the optics are a little peculiar. Well, and, and also the emotion that Alec was showing on that video. I mean, we heard, I think actually, I think we just played the most dramatic mm-hmm. moment of it, mm-hmm. really. he At that point, you know, there was, I think, maybe two times that he actually cried. It was the beginning and the end. It was when mm-hmm. they said what happened. This is how I found him. Mm-hmm. I tried to check him for a mm-hmm. pulse, and he cries. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, when he finds out Buster's coming up the driveway, and he says, don't let him in. Um, but the rest of the time, really, mm-hmm. he was very... Mm-hmm. Thorough. Yes. Yeah, and he had the motive again, didn't he? The uh, the boat crash, right? Didn't oh, he bring that yeah. up? That, you hear that a lot in these, well, day five, uh-huh. and this is the, only the second day of testimony, and it seemed like the boat crash has come up a lot relative to his explanation for these horrendous killings. I will say that I thought his the way his delivery regarding the boat crash was a bit more measured and reasonable in the interview with mm-hmm. Sled and the Colleton County detective than it had been when the first deputy arrived on the mm-hmm. scene. He was very, I know this is what this is. Right. Uh, he was very emphatic in, mm-hmm. in trying to just, you know, get that point across very strongly when the, dete- when the, de- de- uh, I'm tongue tied, I'm sorry, when mm-hmm. the deputy first got there, but mm-hmm. in to that point, to, mm-hmm. to the overall point that right. Anna's making, mm-hmm. he gets in, he's mm-hmm. initially very, very upset. Mm-hmm. And then he seems to collect himself, mm-hmm. and he's very all business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I wonder. Yeah, you know, you make a good point. But I wonder if he got legal advice. I never I hadn't thought about that until just now. I wonder if mm-hmm. if there was time in which the attorney had time to confer with him privately, mm-hmm. 
and advise him whether or not he should cooperate fully, what he should say, and mm -hmm. how that went. I, I have to think there's documentation of that. But another very, very unusual fact that you have somebody who has an attorney present so quickly. Well, they did note, uh, well, Detective Rutland did note that he was, before they interviewed him, he, for a while, had been standing at the back of his brother Randy's truck with Randy and his attorney. So oh. they had been standing back there for a while. So okay. I think that to, that might be the answer we're looking for there. Maybe he did have time to consult, but still, it, the, the timing and the optics of it. Well, two attorneys then, right? His brother's yeah, an attorney. His brother is an attorney. So we had three attorneys there yeah. at a very grisly crime scene. Probably, I mean, a, a crime scene that was so grisly that I saw jurors. Yes. I saw at one point Lynn, his sister, actually had to turn her head. Mm -hmm. um, what was really interesting to me about this, and I know we need to get to this, uh, what he was wearing that night, but the, the other thing was that um, I actually saw Buster at one point. He, was, he looked, appeared, I don't know for sure, but you know there was this, this covering over the defense attorney's mm -hmm. monitor, and they were showing some of the more graphic photos of the crime scene, probably more close up, more blown up. So mm -hmm. more details. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. I remember seeing Buster sort of lean in, and he's kind of going like this, and it's his mother, uh, his mother's body that's there. I'm wondering, perhaps he hasn't seen some of this. Evidence. Could be, could be. And again, for the for the listeners and viewers, old school here, right? I'm sitting right. very close to these monitors, and we have pieces of of, of blank, I, I guess it's copy paper, right. with scotch tape covering them up, so you could you could sort of see some things if yeah. you if you really looked. I think he wanted to see this evidence that they were going to be putting forward. Now, well, one of the things that they, they made a big deal about was this, uh, what he was wearing. Uh, and you see it in that, that video, mm -hmm. that statement um, mm -hmm. that, that he was giving to uh, Owens. He, you know, he's, he's got on a white T-shirt, and it looks relatively uh, unmarked. There was a mark on one shoulder, mm -hmm. but besides that, so let's let's play what um, John Meters. He's a prosecutor um, that's that's working. He's a veteran trial lawyer, and he's been brought on by the state to to tackle this. Um, let's see what he has to say about this. And and he's speaking. Sorry, he's speaking to um, Laura Rutland from the Carlton County Sheriff's Office. You describe his hands. They were clean, clean. How would you describe his arms? They were clean. How would you describe his t-shirt? Clean. How would you describe his shorts? Clean. How would you describe his shoes? They were clean. They were clean. So when Laura, who was sitting in the back seat at relatively close uh, yes. proximity, and she had been speaking quite a bit yes. to the defendant, yes. um, said that, it, that, that she thought he looked very clean. So... Um, at one point, I heard uh, Meter say, so he changed his clothes? Yes, and speak a little bit about John Meadows. He, he has been brought on recently by the Attorney General's office. He's a veteran prosecutor from Midlands of South Carolina. I know he's prosecuted scores, if not hundreds, of cases and many, many violent crime cases. My understanding is that in a murder case with Dick Harputlian, he was successful in prosecuting one uh, several years ago. But his experience, I thought, really sh shone through. He mm -hmm. had a commanding presence. You couldn't see a lot of this, I believe, on the court feed because he was near the jury, but he was very powerful. Mm -hmm. And he was able to establish through the direct examination of, of that witness, and I, 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 it's not going to be a question, I believe, by jurors unless something else comes up, but... 
that this defendant, in fact, had on new clothing after you would think he wouldn't have clean clothing on. In other words, uh, if he went there and checked the pulse, if he walked around a bloody crime scene, if he, as he stated, if he slept on the couch and then went to visit his, his ailing uh, mother with Alzheimer's, then came back, it's a hot South Carolina night, uh, it doesn't add up that the clothing would be clean. And through, I thought, a really effective direct examination that was challenged by the defense attorney, he ended up by this witness becoming very credible on the assertion that the clothing that he had on looked fresh in effect. Right. So how they tie that in as this goes forward, I'm thinking it's going to be a key piece of circumstantial evidence towards the argument that they have an overwhelming case of strong circumstantial evidence beyond any reasonable doubt. I believe this is going to be one of their stronger pieces that they're going to argue. But the blood spatter evidence um, that we heard about in pretrial motions, Drew, we went through that motion over and over and over again, trying to understand um, what was going on. It was like we had heard, honestly, there were leaks. There were leaks to the media, not not to us, but we had read about some of these leaks about blood spatter mm-hmm. on a T-shirt. Wow. And this was the T-shirt. This, this T-shirt here. That, that this is, is the T-shirt. They took the T-shirt and they treated it. They, mm-hmm. they were, made a point of... Chi- Mm-hmm. talking about how this was a t-shirt they treated with the LCV. Mm-hmm. So um, we know this. The jury doesn't know this yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what you yeah. think about that. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, LCV, leucocrystal violet, what, what, that's what Anne is referring to. It's a chemical formula compound. They spray, uh, they ex- explained today during trial, they spray this on objects and it is reactive. It's particularly reactive with hemoglobin in blood if the hemoglobin is present on whatever they spray it on, that leucocrystal compound will activate and it'll turn purplish blue. Uh, that's what they noted. They sprayed it on this T-shirt, this supposedly clean T-shirt that Alex appeared to be wearing, and it did come back, according to prosecutors and witnesses they called today, it did come back as having blood on it. Mm-hmm. Um so, so where, where are they going with this, you think? Uh, I, that gets back into Anne's question with... We heard so much in pretrial about this, the wanting them to specifically the state, atta- not the state, I'm sorry, specifically the defense attacking that evidence, attacking the expert they had used to qualify it as blood spatter. Uh, all these things, they, they are trying very, very hard to get rid of this. And to me, my interpretation of it, we got to take we got to take mm-hmm. a step back here. We had mm-hmm. we had some key context given has not been given to the jury yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some key context given in pretrial about the discovery of a third article of clothing wow. that was apparently like a rain jacket or something that was that searchers found stashed at one of Alex's relatives' houses. I think it was Ab's mom. Yes, it was, his, it was his mom's. He, yeah. was, he was observed walking into the house a couple days after the murders with this at a random time, at a strange time. Right. Oddly walked upstairs with something blue that looked like a tarp, and they found, they go up there, they find a blue rain jacket. They test it. It's covered with gunshot residue. Right. Uh, they, they on the inside is what they said. They specifically said the tarp, this jacket is covered on the inside with gunshot residue we also know that there's a video out there uh, and from what we have been told that video i think is one of the videos from paul's phone that's in evidence what we've been told that video may show alec wearing a completely different shirt wow so 
if you're asking me mm-hmm. and you take into that context, again, mm-hmm. the context the jury doesn't have yet, mm-hmm. but and if you're, if you're building some of it, yeah. we don't know what's going to be introduced into mm-hmm. evidence. Why mm-hmm. are they fighting so hard to keep that shirt from getting in? And why is it so important? Because that could be very well be the last link in the chain that connects the dots mm-hmm. to you were here, you, you touched this, you, mm-hmm. you have blood on your shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, there's also, that's just, a, that's just speculation. Speculation. Uh, yeah. Um, Which, but I mean, it's, it's fascinating because they're, they're, they're leaving us. It's like a cliffhanger for the weekend, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. like we're yeah. just trying right. to understand right. why right. there was a, right. a t-shirt that, that they fought, but listen to this, it gets weirder because then Jim Griffin, who was the defense attorney, mm-hmm. um, basically once again, and they've done this effectively two days in a row, I think, on, on certain parts of the crime scene evidence and, mm-hmm. and evidence um, in general, goes after this T-shirt but turns this argument completely on its head, literally uses the same words the prosecution used but in a completely different context. You remember the litany of Mr. Matters? Shorts, shirts, shoes were clean, correct? That's correct. He was clean, correct? To my visual eye, he was clean, yes. And to your visual eye, it did not look like he had just blown his son's head off in the confines of a feed room where splatter is everywhere. Isn't that correct? I didn't say that. Well, let me ask you. In your mind's eye, that night on June 7th, did he look like someone had just blown his son's head off, splatter going everywhere? Again, I I can't say that for sure. A A lot of things would come into play to affect that. (laughs) <laughs> I like the way she left. Yeah. Because obviously she, she, knows she knows the state's theory that he, he washed up or changed clothing. That's why he looks so fresh. But I do think uh, for, for Sergeant Griffin to go down that path was a good way to go at that point, and it was, it was effective. But to, get to your point, where does all this head? I right. have to think that the state has an overarching theme. We don't know what that uh, – or wrapping – you know, circumstantial mm-hmm. evidence is – People often think, well, it's not good evidence. Well, it's perfectly good evidence if, if uh, to me, the analogy that works best is a rope. If you have just one strand, the rope's going to be really weak. But if you have two strands, three strands, you wrap them all together, you get 5, 10, 15, 20, 30. Next thing you know, you have a rope that is so strong that you cannot break it. And that's where I think we're headed with the state because... The number of circumstances that I can count up now, they're getting up there. They're not there yet, but it's starting to, to, to have the feel of a potentially very powerful circumstantial evidence case. You know what I just heard re-listening to that? It's becoming a, a little clearer to me, and follow me on this. Mm-hmm. We've heard throughout pretrial and in trial so far almost flippantly, uh, and we did hear this in pretrial. I, I've observed this on a few occasions. The way Dick Harputlian is almost crass in the way he is just so uh, nonchalant about saying butchered and head blown off and Mm -hmm. his brains were flown out. And I apologize, Mm -hmm. that's going to sound, again, even hearing come out of my own mouth, it sounds vulgar. But then to listen to what Jim Griffin just did. And he turned, to your point, Charlie, mm-hmm. he turned it back around on them. That's what, they're, that's what they're leading to here, is they're making the state, they're going to make the state prove 
without a reasonable doubt, which is their job, yes. they're going to make the state prove without a reasonable doubt that there's enough circumstantial evidence yes. that he possibly I think that's right. could have yeah. done what they said he'd done and came out spotless on the other side. They've got a tough uphill battle, but that's, that's I think, now a lot more of what right. we're hearing yeah. and have heard is making mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, poking holes in a circumstantial evidence case. And to that point, the last announcement in court today at 4.30 with the uh, witness on the stand, I've got two hours. Uh, the defense attorney says, I've got two hours of cross-examination. Let's stop now because it's going to be super late if we stick around and see you Monday morning for two hours of vigorous cross-examination. I know, and I actually just, uh, on the as he was walking out, uh, heard uh, the defense attorney, Dick Harputley, and mm-hmm. say, this is going to be very, very interesting. I want you to pay attention. Of course he does. Of course he wants us to pay attention to what he's saying. But, of, of course, he got and my we attention. Will. <laughs> we will um, attention. So we're going to have that cross-examination on Monday. We're going to be here. It's uh, Court starts at 930. You're going to be able to get your daily recap with us on at afterwards on Monday night. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be back in court. And everybody will be here. Look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great weekend. Thank <laughs> you.